Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, and welcome back to The Exchange. My name's Tom Daly. My guest today is Raven Forrest Frescalzo, the host of the Tiny Vampires podcast. Tiny Vampires is a science podcast that focuses on insects that spread disease and what scientists are doing to combat them. On the surface, this might seem a bit niche, and you might think that Tiny Vampires is a podcast for special interests, but you'd be wrong. If you're the type of person who likes getting out there into nature, or just one who has a hot weather wardrobe that involves bearing your arms or legs, this podcast sits at the intersection of your life. Every summer, just in my neighborhood of the United States, I hear of local outbreaks of West Nile virus, dengue fever, and eastern equine encephalitis. But other mosquito-borne illnesses, like Zika, haunt South and Central, and even parts of North America, threatening unborn children and potential parents, whether they're locals or tourists. But mosquitoes aren't the only tiny threats which we often turn a blind eye to. Each year, deer tick are responsible for an estimated 300,000 cases of Lyme disease in the United States alone. And for me, these aren't just statistics that exist in a vacuum. It's personal, because one of those people was a member of my own household, and I've seen firsthand the pain and distress a small bite from an insignificant insect can cause. It is estimated that at any given time there are about 10 quintillion insects in the world. That's a one with 19 zeros behind it. While the vast majority of these don't carry diseases that are transmittable to humans, when compared to the fact that there are about 7 billion people on Earth, that numerical imbalance really underscores just how massively outnumbered humans are. And while we think we have dominion over the Earth and all the creatures on it, it's a bug's world, and we're just living in it. Our ability to observe nature to analyze and understand what we see, and how effectively we're able to diffuse the knowledge we accumulate 
ultimately are our best defenses for ensuring the greatest number of people possible are staying safe and leading healthy lives. In listening to our discussion, I think you'll find that making sure that knowledge gets spread around is something Raven is passionate about, and I think that comes through loud and clear. So, if I may, let me present to you my talk with Raven. I hope you enjoy. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Raven Forest Fruscalzo, welcome to the exchange. Hello. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you. Raven, uh, I wanted to kind of dive right in today and, and start by asking um, about the background of, of how Tiny Vampires came to be. Because many podcasters, I found, have a pretty standard story of how they became podcasters. And that usually is, uh, I'm working in a job unrelated to my liberal arts degree and detached from my passion. So I've turned to podcasting as a creative outlet. But uh, Tiny Vampires, I find, is is much different. It seems to break that mold. Uh, yeah. Could you please uh, tell me and the listeners uh, a little bit about the National Science Foundation's Social Responsibilities of Researchers Fellowship and, and how that's tied in with the origins of your podcast? Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm a student at Notre Dame, and the um, professors there – they have a real uh, high emphasis on um, the responsibilities of what what it is to be a researcher and um, what our responsibilities are to the public, because most of our funding comes from the public. So uh, what they did was they got together and they proposed a new program, uh, you know, basically pitched it to the National Science Foundation. And they got a short-term grant for three years. So what we did was we would get together um, for a year. It was almost like a class, but it was continual. And basically, we just talked about uh, research ethics and uh, learned a lot of like different philosophical techniques. And um, you know, instead of just 
what is my research about? It's why do I do my research? Who is it benefiting? And, uh, you know, things, things of that nature. So when it came time for me to choose a project, I'm a pretty hardcore podcast nerd. And I was, of uh -huh. course, always talking about them. Uh, whenever I would talk to people, I would say, oh, yeah, on Planet Money, I heard this. And, you know, uh, so one day somebody was like, why don't you just start a podcast? Um, because, like, my, my real big concern is how much the public and scientists don't trust each other. And mm. so a lot of that, so through the you know, program, I learned that a lot of that comes from something called the deficit model, where uh, basically scientists assume that if people just knew more about anything, <laughs> uh, that they would be more inclined to support science. And, but in reality, what people want to know is what people want to know. They don't want to be told what they need to know. Uh, so... So that's where this idea came from of, you know, people sending me questions and then me answering it using the science mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, I'm not sure if people care about, you know, how, you know, proteins get made in your DNA and it turns into hemoglobin and all the stuff like, uh, you know, cell signaling and things like that. So it's it's better to answer people's questions than and tell them what they want to know, then tell them what you think they should know, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, that's just very considerate. <laughs> um, I think people do tend to respond better when they feel like they're in the driver's seat uh, to an extent right. and not being lectured at. Right, um, exactly, exactly, which is what scientists tend to do, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've noticed one one really interesting aspect of Tiny Vampires uh, is that it's also in multiple languages, and, and you've recently, kind of more, more recently, started Tiny mm -hmm. Vampires in Espanol. Um, yes. Why was it particularly important to you to offer the podcast in two languages? So a lot of what I'm talking about are um, turn out to be tropical diseases. So uh, things like Zika and that, it's mostly a problem in a South America, like yellow fever. And although um, there's a lot of people that speak English in, in those countries, I thought, you know, we would get a much wider audience that had these things applying to their life in a much more dramatic way than, um, than just the English-speaking population. And even if they do speak English, they probably it's not their first language. And right, and uh, I'm not really sure what the stats are on how many people speak English in the world versus Spanish, but there's definitely more primary Spanish-speaking countries in the world. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was it was a really good opportunity to expand out, and especially since we have a lot of um, Puerto Rican graduate students at Notre Dame. So it was it was definitely like an an opportunity I felt like I couldn't really pass up on. Very good. Uh, now, personally, mm -hmm. I, I found your background uh, I was reading on your uh, your website was was very interesting. Yeah. Uh, now you served in the United States Air Force. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, I was a photographer and graphic artist in the Air Force. Um, we call it the family business. My parents were in, their parents were in, um, 
I, on my dad's side, we track it all the way back to the Civil War. So uh, it's just, it's what we Wait, do. the Air Force in the Civil War? No, no, I mean the military. <laughs> the military. Uh, oh, I, I followed Yeah, yeah. I followed yeah. I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Back to the Civil War. Huh? Yeah. The wrong side, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> no reflection on anybody here today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you were a photographer in, in the Air Force? Yes. Uh, and a graphic artist, yeah. And a graphic artist. So did did your time serving have any uh, influence on your uh, love of the sciences? Yeah. Um, so in the military, you whenever you deploy or anything, um, they treat you with uh, anti-malarial medications, which have some interesting side effects. And, uh, you know, we're constantly like spraying down tents with DEET and um, pyrethrum and things like that. Um, I definitely saw firsthand how the, I guess, a level of impact that isn't normally seen in the United States when it comes to vector-borne diseases. I mean, here we have West Nile, we have Lyme, um, and they're, they're definitely serious issues, but it's nothing like you know when you're going to Iraq and you're dealing with leishmaniasis or other like horribly disfiguring diseases. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's like everything we have here on plus other things. So, uh, so yeah, it definitely piqued my interest. For those who haven't listened to your podcast, uh, you want to explain briefly uh, the, the term vector borne illness? Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah. So uh, a vector in this case would be some kind of like a tick or flea or mosquito that when it bites you, it transmits a disease. So um, the vector is the insect and, uh, you know, that's what vector borne, um, you know, transmitted disease. Yeah. So I, I, I can't help but notice that uh, this is a very bug focused podcast and i guess we have to have to ask um when were you bitten by the entomology bug (laughs) pun intended yes um so when i was in undergrad like i i have always been really interested in parasitic diseases i think um anybody in this in any scientist if, if they're really, especially biologists, if they're really honest with you, they will admit that they have a morbid curiosity. And um, so I think, uh, you know, I, I started off with this whole parasite idea, um, but I'm just the scale that I normally think at is much broader. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, most par- parasites are unicellular, so you're just like dealing with single cells and you're back into like cell signaling and genetics and a bunch of other stuff that I'm not super passionate about. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as I learned more about it, I started learning more and more about these, um, the way that you really deal with it, which is to deal with the vector instead of dealing with the organism itself. So basically preventing people from getting it. And so once I started working with the insects, uh, that's, that's really when I got hooked. Um, because then you're dealing with ecology and the behavior of the insects and how can you change those to impact how many people are actually getting sick. 
Now, you're currently a neurophysiology PhD student at Notre Dame. Um, uh, how, yeah. I understand that status is currently in flux. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so I actually switched to being a master's student. Um Mm-hmm. It's kind of a long story having to deal with uh, internal academic politics that's very boring and nobody wants to hear about that. But uh, um, basically, I, in order to go into science communication, um, like I want to do that as a career. Mm-hmm. So you, it doesn't require a PhD. And I would much rather spend my time working on, you know, getting better at working with the public and uh, not really focusing on what I want to focus on. Mm-hmm. So, and long story short, it would take me another five years <laughs> and I've already been here for three. Yeah, let's get down to brass tacks. <laughs> like, I, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to be 34 next month. So it's, it's time for me to have a real job. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can save several dollars in the process, that's all the better. Yeah, well, actually, for PhD students, they pay me. So, oh. um, yeah, yeah, that's that's one thing that, like, for master's degrees, uh, most of the time you pay them. But for PhDs, you're actually working at the university, so they pay you. Not much, admittedly. But, <laughs> but yeah, that's when I, at the end of my episodes, I say, you know, funded by the National Science Foundation. It's because my grant or my fellowship is through them, and they actually... Uh, pay me as if it's a regular job. That's a sweet gig if you can get it. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's pretty nice. Um, it's I mean, of course, being a PhD student is is no uh, no walk in the park, but it's it's definitely cool to be able to get paid to do what you love and to learn, which you know, learning is expensive. <laughs> it is here anyway. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Now, you kind of touched upon that you want to focus on your goals more, uh, which is science mm-hmm. communications. And I was wondering if mm-hmm. you wanted to uh, elaborate on that a bit. And what are your, your broader goals for science communication and the research that you've done? What is it that you hope to come out of that eventually? Yeah. So I think... Oh, geez, that's a big question. It is a big uh... question. That's what I do here. Yeah, just... Uh, yes, uh, hard hitting. Okay, um, <laughs> so I think uh, you know, kind of getting back to the the social responsibilities program. Um, I think that it's it's really important for for us to communicate with the public to make sure that we're uh, suiting society's needs and. Not that we're not doing that now, but I think that it's it's really um, you know to to use the academic term it's 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 very siloed right now. Uh, you know the scientists live in their world; they you know publish in their journals, and occasionally we count on uh, journalists to come along and discover our work and then translate it into a public article and hope that, you know, we didn't miscommunicate something with the journalist. And I think it leaves a large gap because journalists do what they can, but, 
you know, they have journalism degrees, they don't have biology degrees. And if we sit there and we talk to them and we say things like vector-borne disease without explaining it, uh, <laughs> then uh, then a lot of times there's there's a miscommunication and then the public ends up with the wrong information. So, you know, kind of what that turned into to for me is kind of a mission to actually be good at translating science into uh, like any type of science into something that your average person can understand. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's not just like an educated average person. If I talk to a geologist, they're not going to understand me if I'm speaking biology. Right. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't really matter what level of education you have. If you're not in that field, like you're not going to understand them. And so it's really important to really translate things in in a way that everyone can understand and in a way that you're not just talking about what you want to talk about that you know when they are asking questions about uh, genetically modified organisms or GMOs mm. what are they commonly called that it's it's not a political thing you're just explaining what is this thing and what did we change about it and how did we do that and you know then they can make the decisions for themselves and that makes them trust scientists much more uh, and trust science and evidence much more than if we're just talking at them. Now, if you thought that was a big question, <laughs> wait till you get a hold of this finale question I have for you. Okay. <laughs> you know, now, Raven, I, I feel like we are living in, in sort of a paradoxical time um, mm-hmm. where never before has science been capable of doing so much good, but at the same mm-hmm. time doing so much harm. Yeah. Uh, and rather than becoming more scientifically literate and kind of rising to the challenge of better managing and directing policy in accordance mm-hmm. with, you know, this new reality, we as a society, I feel, are beginning to to get to go a bit adrift. We're staggering mm-hmm. around in this anti-scientific haze. You know, you have yeah. flat earthers to anti-vaxxers to climate change deniers. You know, people mm-hmm. all over, as you've alluded to, are sort of almost revolting against things that are, are not immediately tangible or, or very easily comprehensible. And mm-hmm. they are suspicious of experts. Um, and this goes from your average people to their representatives who are directing this policy. So now I'd ask you to imagine that you're testifying before Congress. <laughs> What? Yeah. What do (laughs) nerves? uh, Yeah. No pressure here. What would you say to impress upon the people in that chamber, and even the people, maybe the ten people watching on C-SPAN, the Mm -hmm. importance of science? Oh wow, Uh, man! (laughs) Can can I have a few hours to to tie something up? The Uh, committee is waiting, Miss Friscoso. Yes. Oh gosh. Okay. Well. I would say that science is not a noun, it's a verb. It's not static. You're constantly figuring out what is the truth. And how we figure out what the truth is, is dependent on our techniques. So when we learn something new, it's not necessarily set in stone because, you know, next year we might come up with a new technique because our ability to discern the truth is flexible because, you know, we're humans and we're basically just, you know, shining a flashlight into the dark. But that doesn't change what the truth is. And as we 
you know, do experiments, as we get more data, as we analyze it, we're seeing more and more of this truth that's out there. And a lot of the mistrust in science comes from, you know, oh, we said last year that right. eggs were bad for you and now they're good yeah. for you and now they're bad for you again. Uh, and and they see that as like scientists arguing with each other or any time a paper comes out that says, uh, you know, oh, climate change is is good for these particular organisms or whatever. Uh, they see that as arguing. But in reality, it's just more information that gives us a better idea of what the truth actually is. And the truth is complicated. And, you know, we're using our tiny primate <laughs> brains to try to figure it out. And so when we're when we're doing this, it's not something to be mistrusted. Every time one paper comes out that argues with another paper, that's actually, that's that's science in action. That means that we're clarifying what we mm -hmm. see as the truth right now. So the more data, the better. The better we can understand the world around us in any capacity when it comes to um, how vaccines work or, um, you know, gravitational waves. It's all a part of this thing that we're trying to do, which is use our little brains to figure right. out what the heck is going on. And what the heck is going on is not going to change. It doesn't matter what we believe. The earth was, you know, round before right. anybody knew that it was. So, um, so people can say that climate change isn't a thing. That doesn't change the fact that it is. And whether anybody, whether a scientist was saying that it was a thing or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, it would be happening anyway. And that's what the truth is. So, um, yeah, it's it's not relative because it doesn't change based on what you believe. Excellent. Uh, hopefully that was more articulate than it felt. <laughs> I thought it was nice. I appreciate the sentiments. Okay, good. <laughs> Well, Raven, yeah. that's that's all I had for you today, and I really appreciate you uh, taking the time uh, to to come and talk to me and uh, the Agora Podcast uh, Network listeners. And uh, you wanna you wanna give a little plug for where people can find your show? Yeah, so I'm on Facebook and I'm just at Tiny Vampires. Uh, surprisingly, <laughs> nobody took that name. Uh, <laughs> And then on Twitter, I'm on uh, mm -hmm. Tiny Vampires Pod. And then my website is just tinyvampires.com. Awesome. Well, yep. thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, my yep. pleasure. <laughs> Have yourself a great day. Yep, you too. Bye. <laughs> Take care.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 